0: Hey, internet! It's a good thing we call this thing the Saturday morning chill because when you're late, it's just it's just late. But we're going, we're going. We'll be here. We'll be we'll be right back. It's a Saturday morning chill. Stick around. Hey, internet! He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah! That makes that makes you immortal now. Do you know that you're paid for? He has grabbed the entire universe. Jesus of Nazareth, the God, who is man, who remains God, who is ascended, has grabbed the entire universe by the blood purchase price of his own flesh hung upon a cross in order to guarantee you, you, plural. Uh, You all, uh, and you individually, because there's no you all without you individually, to to guarantee you that what you see in this world is not all that there is. It is not all that there is. There is more in this world than you see, and there is another world coming after this world. This world is ending, and it sure looks like it. (laughs) We're all trying to stop it. That's a bad idea. You can't. You kind of got to live in it, sojourn, as it were. But the good news is, is that the sojourns towards something, right? This is not a journey without a destination kind of garbage, right? This is a journey with a destination. The destination is not your death. The destination is your resurrection. The destination is you being what you always knew you should be. And you don't get to be that in this life, no matter who you are. You can be good. You can be very, very good. But you never get to be who you should be. And there's a little voice inside of you. Mine's probably worse, I'll just say. I got a bad one, yeah? Maybe yours is better. That's fine. You still got a little voice inside of you. That does tell you you're not good enough. And and Jesus is risen to tell you that he is. Not that you are. No, 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 no. Get off you. That he is. That he is good enough. He is good enough for this world. He is good enough for this universe. He is good enough for your sin. For your shame. Mm. Christianity. Good morning, universe. How you doing? I have had what I would call a healthy week. It has been hard, though, I will say. We'll leave that for another time. Uh, finding your own way, finding your heart in a world in which love has grown cold, uh, well, that, that's, that's why we're here, right? That's why you're watching, is that you want some heart. And uh, I, I like to think that when I talk to you, I give you some heart. I think that's maybe why you listen. It's like, I need a little heart today. Where's Rev Fisk? Get some heart. Um, but I don't... I, I don't have one. <laughs> I have a heart. I'm sure. I'm a tin man, right? But no, I mean like, like uh, it's tough when you when you're the, when you're me doing this, right? Giving you heart. What do I get to listen to? And uh, uh, thank God, there's such good pastors out there that are my buddies and friends. But uh, the heart I'm looking for, again, I think only can be provided by Christ. And I think that's why you get it from me. It's, it's not like I have a lot of heart to give. I really don't. Uh, I'm a pretty callous person, probably. Uh, you know, if you if you knew me, you would be like, oh, he he's just like everybody else. But what I say, because it's not my words, because the Holy Spirit's words, and they're true, and they're everlasting, and they've anointed me and you and all of us to believe it, right? That's like, not liquid heart, it's like it's like actual heart. <laughs> it's Jesus' own beating heart, right? Uh, and then the, the Spirit proceeding according to his word through the church. What's that mean? You know, well, right off it meant 12 guys who wrote some stuff down we should believe, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, to encourage us to remember that this world is filled with deception and will do all it can to deceive everybody. All manner of lies and twists and gifts even. But that that deception will show itself. It will come to a destruction. It will out itself. And that even within you then, that deception that you have within yourself, that voice that says you're not good enough, right? Um, that reality will out itself as... Again, subject to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's where it needs to not be It needs to not be about anything other than his ascension, right? Don't get me wrong, cross, resurrection, perfect. But grab his ascension. Remember that he's king, right? That whatever you think is going on on this planet with nations and states, that's kind of a lie. I mean, there's some of it that's true somewhere out there. There are people who call themselves these names doing these things, but none of them are doing what they say they're doing. Another, none of them are doing what they think they're doing. Forgive them they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. They're doing a lot of evil. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he has subjected it all to his own agenda. And that agenda is written for you in the scriptures. Again, it's not going to tell you how to navigate Alice in modern land out there. You know, It's not that easy. And yet then again, the Proverbs are. They are that easy. Um, it's not going to make it go away, though. It's not going to allow you to perfect it. You're not going to put away the shame and sin forever, other than, once again, rejoicing to have heart when you hear about Jesus. Knowing that hearing about what Christ has done is, in fact, the spiritual regeneration of reality ahead of schedule, right? Where rather than just raise us all, he raised us in our old bodies first so that we could see how good he is. How does that work? Well, the theology of the cross, is a thing, is it? That's a thing. You are watching the Saturday Morning Chill. Um, I, again... I'm a little unprepared this morning. Uh, I, I was late, right? I don't like being late. But maybe, maybe, maybe we should. I should always be late. If I'm always late, then like next week we'd have to start at 9.06. And then next week I'd have to be late again, right? But how could I? I don't want to be too late because then it would be like nighttime too fast, right? And so we got we to gotta do late slowly or something. I don't want to make a habit out of being late. How do you work on breaking your perfectionism habit of not being late without being late and like upsetting people? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Uh, 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 okay. I have some thoughts to open up with us with this morning, though, even though they're not really prepared. I haven't even looked at these. I've been working on my Slipbox, though. You follow me over on the Elusive channel on Mad Discord? If you don't, that's fine. It's kind of it's kind of unique. But I'm still working on this uh, Sanka Aaron's Smart Notes concept, which I recommended that book about uh, oh, a year ago now, give or take. It came to me from Yamabi. He does a lot of editing for us. Uh, he, he recommended it as a, a tool for... Capturing, understanding information, akin to, say, getting things done, um, learning. And what I found in that book was uh, earth-changing, really. Um, The most important concept, I'll just say it real fast, is is this idea that information has an infinite ability to dock with itself. And maybe that doesn't mean much to you, but for me, that explains uh, a lot of things. (laughs) And it shows the power that we have to say no to certain stories of information cataloging that say electronic media have convinced us to believe are the only types of valuable information that there are. And to thinking that all information is simply valuable if it is codified and stored. Uh, And that's sort of the agenda, right? Of the hive mind right now is codify and store all information while purging it of actual information. It's, you know, the place is weird. You know, the world's weird. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah. What that book suggested, information has an infinite ability to to, uh, dock with itself, led me out of the getting things done mentality, uh, out of the productivity mentality. I'm I'm still trying. I was late this morning, right? I'm I'm still trying to think about how can I be a valuable member of society? I don't really want to stop being a dutiful human without measuring my mind and heart by productivity, uh, by how much and how often can I be 100% on. Uh, that's something I'm I'm just not going to do anymore. I can't say that that's going to be easy for me personally, and I have no idea what it means for how good I'll sound when I talk to you. <laughs> um, but it's all out of the Sonk Aaron's thing, and and believing pretty firmly that uh, disengaging from inputs, and so it doesn't matter. It's not about TV per se, right? You could do the same thing with a big pile of books you bought. You told yourself you're going to read them all. <laughs> you just look at them and feel guilty, right? <laughs> disengaging from inputs is probably the antidote to a lot of your trauma right now right now I'm I'm, using, I'm not using trauma like it's in the like childhood sense. I'm using like the present right the ongoing triggering of ah too many inputs too much news too much information right uh, too much information that is not going to build you up but instead puts you into a defensive posture. Uh, that the world is a scary place, that you must therefore be a predator or prey in order to survive in it, and then ah, off you go with your, your instinctual carnal man, right? Again, shutting those inputs off uh, lets you have in front of you or with you only the information, only the story that you decide to let into your house. Every Every other bit of information you're beaming into your house, book or otherwise, is a story, religious usually, because everybody is, about how this universe works. And the more of it that's on top of you, the less you can actually see where you are. The more Gnostic you will have to be. By Gnostic, I mean living disembodied. Living in visionary experiences as opposed to in real-time space with people. Imagining a future and running toward it as opposed to being here and seeing who's here and doing with what, what's here, right? And the whole society—I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about you, right? This, this is our societal complex right now. Uh, the, the 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 mad mind of information gathering and storing. Uh, as opposed to the the— well, what what Aaron's kind of told me to try, and I did, uh, was to distill, distill what I'm getting, to take information and realize that the first round of the information is never that valuable, especially if I wrote it down, but that if I can, if I can believe that, rather than trying to use the information for my profit and push it somewhere where I think it ought to go. If I can trust the information itself to be of value, even if it never does anything, right? Even if I just write it on a list and I fail to ever come back to that list, that information is so valuable that it will dock with any inf- information that, that comes in its way. So what this means is that most of your efforts to control or, or maintain uh, order around you, whether this is in your information management or whether this is in, say, like your, your feng shui, Right. Uh, The more you attempt to control entirely the situation, the more you're going to just be aware that you can't do it. And so, you know, the more buckets you have to try to catch all your information, uh, the more stress you're going to have knowing it's not working. And what Aaron's again says is the slip box idea is that instead what you want is the good information. What you want is the valuable pieces to you. And that's why you write it down and then write it down again and then only keep the things that really are of value. Now, one of the hardest things about this though, and, and this, he says this in the book, is that when you do this, you're going to want to categorize it all. You're going to, want to like organize it all. You have like 100 note cards. Oh, I should organize these. And you're going to try, and then it's not going to work. Because again, the the premise of the book is that you've had so much information coming into you that until you start unpacking it and unbottling it and stop some of the inputs and just find out what you know and what you learned at this point, right? Um, until you do that, uh, you will be unable to to really process any of it. Or you won't be able to grow from it. So you, you stagnate your growth by taking more in rather than dealing with what you already are you already have. And then again, so the slip box idea is you're going to write it down, you're going to take some notes, and eventually you're going to have a pile of notes that... Once upon a time, this would make me feel really stressed out. This is like all to do's, right? The whole thing is to do's. I got to do something with this, but it's not. It's just a pile of cards and it has stuff on it. And some of it will be valuable and some of it won't. Oh, uh, this one was really good, right? This is the, I said this in the sermon recently. How would Jesus talk to you? How would Jesus talk to you? And you can say through the scriptures. That's a good, very good Lutheran answer. You can say through prayer. That would be not true, actually, unless you're praying the Psalms, but that's a different thing. Um, he doesn't really talk to you through prayer. You talk to him through prayer. Uh, if you pray the Psalms now, he's giving you the prayers to say. So in that sense, he is talking to you, which is kind of sweet. Um, you should pray the Psalms. It's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> but you know, how would Jesus talk to you? I'm not looking for like the. I'm not looking for the test answer here. Uh, oh, how would Jesus just talk to me? Uh, uh, scripture, Lord and sacrament. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian now. Easy now, right? You know, the outer signs, the outer realities, the outer promises point to a regenerative reality that is complete and whole. And so, how would Jesus talk to you? It's not just about where. He would talk to you, right? That's what you say scripture. Uh, it's how? And the answer is gently. Huh. The answer is how Jesus would talk to you. More gently than you do. More gently than you do. Huh. How is this for poverty? I've been wondering about poor a lot recently. Is it, Because poor in the Bible is not what people use it for to get you to give money these days. At all, really. And, and yet it is and it isn't. It just gets abused. But if you're going to read the Bible with poverty, hush with, kale, with success, not American success, but value, uh, if you're going to read the Bible for value, value. if you're going to find the discipline that brings value from wisdom, then you're going to have to realize what poor and rich mean in the Bible is about common versus elite, and that it's fractal. It's fractal. That means that, say, in my house, I'm the richest man. In my neighborhood, I'm not. In my city, I'm poor. Right? It's fractal. And so all these things about – like in the Proverbs about being rich or poor or the the commandments or the phrase like James when he's like, woe to you, O rich, right? Everyone should be able to learn from those texts. At the same time, everyone needs to not forget what America has taught us to forget, which is that there is a very clear class distinction built into nature between the elite who rule and, and the common man who does not, and that this goes in every civilization ever. Um, even Christianity, for in fact, Christ is the elite who will rule, and you are the commoner who will not rule except for as far as he gives it to you, right? So, so this is like this is Christianity. It's not like it's wrong, and yet somehow in the American mind, the idea that there are poor is wrong. And yet we have so many of them, and we ignore them, and we have like a whole state that's turning into a, or not a, state, a whole city in California, right? It's like the poor, um, the homeless. Brief History of Power, to white guys, do you listen to it? Uh, Dr. Koontz and I have been talking about things like that. That was two episodes ago. But anyway, just back on the poor thing here. So recognizing or learning to deal with the biblical categories of poor and rich, common and and elite, and then remembering then generally you are common. However, you know when you see someone who's more common than you, you know it, right? Often you will avoid them. But that's what we should try not to do. Um, All this said, a poor person then, think of it this way. A poor person is anyone who doesn't have what you have. That can mean a lot of different things. It can mean a lot of different things. A poor person is anyone who does not have what you have. So if you want to know in this relationship who's poor, who's rich, right? Do you have two coats? Does he have no coat? Well, there you go, right? You're rich, he's poor. What should you do? Uh, help. Uh, is this the same as taxing the rich so that we can make poverty go away? Ha ha ha. Ha All else can do is make everybody poor. Um, yeah, I fact, that's on this card. To put an end to poverty would be possible only once no one has anything, as trying to have everyone have everything is should be self-evidently impossible, right? You can't have everyone have everything. And so the only way to get rid of the poor, that is those who are common versus those who have more, uh, or those who are elite, is to try to have no one have nothing, which the elite won't let that happen. They'll, they'll make sure just we have nothing, right? No, that's how that works. That's fine. But the, the, the poor person is anyone who doesn't have what you have try that the next time you run into poor language in the bible you know because it's really easy to feel guilty about those texts like oh i don't help the poor enough that doesn't help anybody um instead it's more about like okay so who, who's poor and then realize how often you're the poor person like a lot of times the bible says poor and it's talking about you that's okay that's, that's great be poor like let the promise blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit yeah they will inherit Uh ah. Uh, that's interesting. Theories don't save you. That's fun. I like this one. I just dropped that card. I want to get out of the way. Go down there. Theories do not save you. Deliverances of Jesus Christ. So let me suggest that the Lutherans have been right for a very long time about everything we say except for this. We think that by saying it as a theory, we're going to convince people to join us. (laughs) You with me? Ah, like deliverances of Jesus Christ. Straight up. And we're going to talk about Romans 8 Catholicism here again uh, later. One of you asked a question about it, but it, it is this. Deliverances of Jesus Christ. Why are we arguing about justification? Let's let's let back up a little bit here. Wait, do, you, do you think? Do you believe deliverance is of yourself or is of Jesus Christ? Which one's deliverance of? Now, salvation is of yourself or Jesus Christ. Now, you want to talk justification because you got your little arguments over there in the corner about the Reformation. Okay, okay. I just want to talk about like who's king, like who's God, who's in charge, who wins, who who gives the grace, right? Deliverances of Jesus Christ. Theories don't save you. And it's not that the theories are bad, or that the truth is bad. Liars certainly use theories to try to hide the real truth from us. And the real truth of the justifying reality of Christ's resurrection from the dead is a pretty important thing to not let any false teacher steal from you, just so he can sell you a piece of paper that says you're going to heaven. So, like, don't hear me recanting the the Reformation here, right? Don't be one of those poopheads. Um, <laughs> but, but acknowledge this. Theories Teaching theories about Jesus is not going to save anybody. You've got to go and tell people Jesus saved them. And you've got to do it with conviction, which means you've got to believe you're saved. That's an interesting thing to say. You're baptized, right? So you know you're saved. Well then, deliverance is of Jesus Christ. Sin is the inherent belief that you are the exception. Oh, what a terrible, terrible curse that is. The more exceptional you are, the more sinful your dangerous potential becomes. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Struggle with identity is a key factor in reorganizing and overcoming childhood trauma. you know that? Yeah, it's, it's been a healthy week for me. Uh, struggle with identity is a key factor in recognizing and overcoming childhood trauma. We all have childhood trauma. Black and white. Oh, that's a different thing. Oh, black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, black or white thinking is a sign of childhood trauma. That's all just from some reading I did this week. Fascinating stuff to ponder. Uh, we'll leave that one for another day. Ah, how's this? I've been talking about anger some other places. And there was someone I respect a lot who wrote a thing in the LCMS recently on how we shouldn't ever be angry. And I I think that's actually quite a traumatizing idea. I think it's important that you find a way to be healthy and angry uh, and realize then the anger of righteousness does not ever cause a man to lift his hands except in prayer, right? So the angrier you get as a Christian, the more you should be praying. I uh, should should the more you will be praying if you're actually having christian anger your response will be prayer your response will not be to lift your hands in violence right uh, i'm pretty sure 1st timothy 2 just like says this um so anyway the anger of righteousness is something that i think we should try to get right like there's a whole movement in the church right now trying to recover anger as like this like macho man thing and that's not what i'm talking about at all they're wrong but they're reacting against something else that's wrong er which is the idea that you you like can't be angry you can't be sad. Stop it. Stop being sad. You make us sad too. And you're like, I'm sorry. Sad. Yeah? Like like that. So anger is the same thing. The anger of righteousness. Find your anger, guys. But then shut your mouth. <laughs> right? Is find your anger. Shut your mouth and pray. And you might find your anger is, is from God. Actually. You You might. It's got to go through Jesus. The anger of man by itself don't do nothing good. It's just lots of bad, right? But Jesus' anger has a redemptive character that, again, points you to him, not you. Ah, uh, uh, how interesting. That's interesting, too. I I don't even know what's in this little, but there's so book. This, this box right now has, like, thoughts for the last week. There's so much random stuff. Um, every act of breaking with tradition depends on tradition and therefore must die without tradition. Think about that one, 60s. Uh, the uncertainty in the zeitgeist meta... Catalyzed, catalyzed by the 2020 event, fractured the capability of post-Britannia city-states to foster any optimistic common story. I think that's really, really interesting. Uh, that is, Americans have no shared future, and we now know it. What do you think about that? Ah, how about we hit it with some Job? This is just straight-up Job for you this morning. Your platitudes are proverbs of ash. Your apologetics a fortress of clay. <laughs> awesome. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Trusting him, I will walk in integrity before him. He also shall be my salvation. Withdraw your hand far from me. Let not the dread of you make me afraid. Make me to know my sin and transgression. Why do you hide your face from me and regard me as your enemy? Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Should empty talk make men hold their peace? Oh, yeah. Should empty talk make men hold their peace? Oh, that's a great line. Uh, You will sooner see a donkey uh, birth a man as a fool and his folly, that's fun too. If God decides to break a thing, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there is no release. That's 12.11. I would speak with God, but you, fortress of lies, are worthless physicians. That's so great. Oh, I love it. It's so sarcastic. Um, Sarcasm's not really good, but he's, you can see why is it great. Job knows my pain. I'll say that. Job knows my my pain. You know, he's talking to these guys who are coming, trying to tell him how he shouldn't feel the way he feels. Just get over it. Be better. Repent. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I would speak with God. But you forgers of lies are worthless physicians. <laughs> it's just, it's, he knows what he needs. He needs Jesus. He knows what he needs. He's righteous in his prayers, even though he's ignorant. Um, and that's the lesson of Job, I think. Uh, that you should know that about yourself as a Christian, that most of your prayers are righteous and ignorant, and that God, Jesus, saves you. It, it, it's it's the same story. Oh, will not his excellence make you afraid and the dread of him fall upon you, says Job? Yeah, indeed. It will. It will. Read, read, read. Uh, the water rose to meet Peter's feet, just as long as he did not try to walk on water. <clears throat> Deliverances of Jesus Christ. We only got like four or five questions from you all that are officially set up for this morning. And so I'm going to I'm gonna head out, come right back with all those in about a minute. But if you want more uh, other than me reading random cards and piping on this morning, why don't you throw your comments and questions in the side today. And then once I get to the end of the show, I mean, we only got four. So I really shouldn't take me all the way to, to 11 this morning. Um, uh, I will definitely scroll back and begin looking for comments and questions in the side if you want them addressed ah that does remind me I'm going to say something about, about super chat so I still don't even know how super chat works once they demonetize you so don't feel like you need to super chat me you certainly can I mean I don't know it's, it's your life right um, I don't even know how much of that gets to me. I, I don't look that much. Uh, and you know, it's really a random number. Those of you who do it. It's thank you. I mean, it falls into my bank account. I can't, I can't plan on it and track it though. So if you really want to help me with like the pl- planning and tracking what I'm doing, know how to keep doing it. Uh, that's where Patreon is a lot better. Uh, Patreon allows it to be a regular amount, uh, that you pledge, right? Uh, subscribe to you, subscribe to the show. So you can go find me at Refisk.com? No, you cannot. You can find me there, but you can find the Patreon at Patreon slash RevFisk. That would be that would be better. Um, I think you can find the Patreon link at Revfisk.com too. So uh, I brought that up for a reason. Oh, oh, super chats. Super chats. I don't like talking about money. I'll tell you that. I really don't. I really don't. Um it just it just seems ah, like worldly. <laughs> Which I suppose it is. In any case, I'll be right back with your questions, Bible answers, and my nonsense. Saturday morning chill. Stick around. Yeah, Darth think says it's about right. Yeah, they can't take the super chat from I me. Mean, they can only take the three percent cut. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty stupid. Uh, Google is as evil as it gets in my mind at this point, and I have, uh, I have very little patience for them. I, I am. Yeah, that's a different story. Read Mad Mondays if you want more of that kind of thinking, or listen to Brief History Power to White guys. For this morning, let's get to some of your more biblically oriented concerns, which of course are going to be, uh, well. They're going to open up doors that will value you. Yeah. Uh, Esther says this. I would like to know if what I understand about what happens after we die jives with the Lutheran view of eschatology. Can you spell it out for me as a child, please? Between bodily death and resurrection, what happens? You rest with Jesus. Uh, because on the one hand, there is Hades to old, And on the other hand, there is the thief with Jesus that day in paradise. Thank you for your wisdom, Esther. Right. There's actually a lot more than just those pieces. There's a lot of pieces to this, but the short, childlike answer is: when you die, you will rest with Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. You can call that it heaven. It's fine. It's good. Uh, there's there's a there would seem to be an altar there where all of us are hanging out under the altar. But I think that's maybe more of a symbol of what's going on. Myself, uh, we're definitely in prayer in Jesus, and that's all we know. You don't get any more than that. That's all you get. Oh, oh, you get this too. No more sin. Yeah, sin's gone. So, like, pain in the terms of bad pain or shame, gone. Pain in the terms of, like, your nerves working, I'm, I'm well, you won't have nerves, but you'll be in Jesus. He's got nerves. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. You're in Jesus. You're in Jesus. Like, it's not a symbol. <laughs> like, so you're going to die, and you're in Jesus, and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And then, resting in Jesus, at the end of time, right, you asked about die, now, end of time, Jesus is going to take you not out of his body, but from his body, he's going to make you a new body that's also from this body. Hallelujah! You know, I mean, I, I, you can't explain that. Um, that's why it has so much trouble, though. But what, what the real problem you're you're digging at here is that most of Western Christianity probably never having really realized it was purgatory that kind of did this to us uh, as a concept. But most of us see heaven. As sort of the salvation goal and heaven carries with it the weight of being disembodied and so it causes a great deal of confusion when we talk about jesus saving us so we can go to heaven and then you see all these things in the bible that don't talk about heaven at all but talk about the life of the world to come and we just import those into heaven and then we lose the end of the world and it's all just about kind of like going to heaven instead right and so then we get comfortable and think that it's about having the best life now while we wait to go to heaven And you can kind of see the tumble of of Western Civ a little bit here and the Western Christian, uh, how we say it, sales pitch of Christianity, right? Um, It's like, you know, get comfortable, play golf, die, and go to heaven. Yay, Jesus, right? (laughs) Texas. I like Texas. But it's it's the same kind of like idea only applied to like, I don't know, eschatology. Ah, it's not good. It's great when you're Texas. It's not good when you're Jesus, right? So uh, he has his own way of doing things. And what he wants in this is the resurrection of all life. There are those who will not be there that will be cast into the fire. But everything else is going to be in him in a newly created world from his body. The new man from heaven. Until that happens, things go on as they have from the beginning with us being born, getting married, living in houses, and dying. Praying for the country in which you live and maybe having some good times along the way. That keeps going on but with the understanding that Jesus will not allow this to go on forever. He has a time where it will be rolled up. He has said he doesn't even know the time. The Father knows the time. It's kind of like a great big game he's playing. He doesn't know the end, but he knows the end. He's just got to work it there. And he's, I mean, he's got, it's great. Um, but he's working it then toward this, this end point, which is where for the Christian then, the fact that heaven is a, is a bigger idea than the return of Christ. That's what the problem is now. The return of Christ is our hope, not heaven. Heaven will be a blessing. Heaven is better by far than being here. As he says to the thief, it's kind of like paradise compared to here. But that doesn't mean he says you're going to die and go to heaven and not have a body forever. And there is no end of the world, even though I said that everywhere else. <laughs> right? So you take that one verse, you just make everything else go away. You can't, don't do that. Don't do that. Let the whole Bible exist. The whole Bible exists. It's all true together. You don't have to make it go away. You don't have to pit the verses against each other. They all mean one thing, and it rises to the surface when you stop trying to let your heart and your mind run it. Reason has to run into a death at the foot of God at some point, because reason was created by God. It is not God. It is under God, and less than God. God's ways are not our ways his thoughts are not our thoughts so so trying to use reason to shove this into some sort of like empirical system i think it's, it's just a great error uh there are a lot more things we could talk about in terms of like, you know how the Old Testament viewed this and the there seems to be that from from old testament times there was a there was a deeper there was a deep understanding of the resurrection that they always believed in a resurrection but they did not have as much information about with this interim state that we're talking about. And you can debate about before Christ came, what all that means. There's all sorts of and you can get into, but all is a distraction from the, uh, the, the real center point of this, right? Um, <laughs> I looked at a comment and distracted myself from the real center point of this. The real center point of this, which is that when you die, you rest with Christ. And that is the beginning of his, no, I shouldn't even say that. That is the next step of the completion of your baptism, the next step of his bringing you to resurrection by killing you. <laughs> by killing you. And then he's going to raise you. But he's gonna, he, he wants to do this with like lots of people, not just you. <laughs> lots of people. So the time, I shouldn't even say the time. Time doesn't exist. The planet remains, producing its fruit. The garden with the stones he set around it, looking for grapes. he It still is producing grapes. And as long as it produces grapes, I think we should expect it to continue on unless he has a reason we don't know about, right? There's there's a phrase that um it comes back in my head regularly, recently. It's not like all my life I've pondered this bit from Jesus, but it struck me when I was a young man and, and kind of finding my, my Christian faith in my early 20s. No one really comments on it much. Jesus says, when he's, I think he's on the way to the cross. I think he's on the Via della Rosa. Even he's like, it's on the, yeah, he's beaten. And He says to the women who are crying, "If they do this, when the tree is green, what will they do when the tree is brown?" That's all he says. Lord, was it just about the destruction of Jerusalem, or is it about the planet? Yeah, is it about the planet? So when you look at end of the world in heaven. Remember that this planet exists as a seed of what shall be revealed. There is a metamorphosis that has taken place in Christ and is being spread out. And that your death and rest in Christ is but the chrysalis. If you want to look at it that way, maybe that's helpful. Go to chrysalis, right? And then resurrection, that's coming out of the chrysalis. So... Uh, that's actually a really nice way to, that's a good symbol. It's a really good symbol. So you're a caterpillar, you're going to die and go in the chrysalis, that's Jesus' body in heaven, and then whatever that means, rest, sleep, peace, no sin, and then, um, but no bodies. You don't have your body, you just have Jesus' body. I don't know how that works. And then, but I'm not going to try to say, because the Bible doesn't really want to say anything about that. It wants to tell you that that's just rest, until, until the chrysalis breaks on the last day, yeah? I pray that is valuable to you, Esther. I um, the idea of heaven is a challenging one. There is a book I can I can kind of recommend to you, called Heaven, by Randy Alcorn. I know what am I doing, but actually, you know, for evangelical scholarship, this one's pretty good. So I'm not giving this to you. The caveat this is this: is not the Book of Concord, right? This is not the Bible. I'm not saying pray the Psalms with this one. Like it's there's no error ever in her anywhere. But what he's done, I mean, he's got basically Heaven by Randy Alcorn is a reference book on this question. And more or less, with the exception that he's a premillennial, but not a disby, I think. Uh, But he acknowledges that and he says what the other views are too. And so he does a really good job of giving you the whole picture to kind of see how complex this question is. And again, how simple the answer is. Um, You die, you rest with Jesus. Jesus is coming back. He's going to put you back in your body. You're going to see everybody else. That you lived with at that point, which is why they used to put in until we meet again on the graves in Germany. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. All right, Esther, thank you so much for the question. Chad reactionary, says this uh, I'm relatively new to the LCMS. Welcome. <laughs> uh, uh, welcome to the fun. What do deacons do? <laughs> I can only find things talking about the end of licensed lay deacons who basically acted as pastors. So what do deacons do now? Hi, Chad Reactionary. How are you doing? So last week, I believe someone asked a question and I felt kind of like maybe I'd overplayed my hand with my answer, but uh, maybe not. The LCMS is an idea that doesn't exist in reality. Now, there's an organization called the Lutheran Church Missouri Center. You can send money to them. There's a building. There are people who mean very well and do a lot of decent work there. I imagine. I mean, I was there. I don't know what's going on there now. Um, But that is the illusion of unity. It's not unity. There there is no Lutheran Church, Missouri walking together. (laughs) There are a lot of congregations with a health package and some seminaries and some universities and a structure for arguing with each other every three years and fighting about who gets to move the money around. But there is no us. That's a lie. It's always been a lie. And you can see it the moment anybody gets together for one of these events. You just see how divided we are. It's ridiculous. We don't believe. We don't believe stuff. Um, a lot of us, right? Different levels, different ways. But like, so, so when you ask a question like, "What do deacons do?" I mean, there's six thousand congregations, and some guy decides to make a deacon, and he's going to think he's a deacon. He's going to call himself deacon forever, and then you're going to run into him. He's like, "I'm a deacon in the LCMS." Like, oh, they got deacons. What do deacons do? That's what they do. Whatever they feel like doing. We don't have deacons. We don't have deacons. We've never really had deacons. There's these, you, you mentioned the thing about the licensed lay deacon thing. You have all these like modern things trying to finagle various answers to problems that don't involve repenting of what we have rejected from the Bible. And so instead, we we're going to come up with these other ways to like steal words from the Bible to make it sound like we're being more faithful than we were before. So now we'll have deacons because we didn't have them before. Maybe we need bishops too. Hmm, that'll fix it all, right? It's, it's just grasping at straws to try to paper over whatever you wanted to do anyway. Deacon in the Bible is a term associated with what we would call the preaching office or the public teaching of the ministry, um, the public proclamation of Jesus. The deacons particularly were men of good repute who had hands laid on them, were installed, ordained as it were, to aid the apostles in the care of the gathering congregation in Jerusalem. None of them do that much. They instead go and baptize people, preach, and get martyred, for the most part, that we know of. So what they are, what deacons are, is a form of authorized preacher. That's it. So this is a long argument, but the short answer is this. There's a lot of things the Bible says about different ways to authorize a preacher, but you're always authorizing a preacher. And so there really is only one thing that arises in the church as an office. It's the office of preacher. It should be held by a man, not a woman. It should be a publicly recognized reality. And you can have more than one. It's not a problem. You don't have to pay them a health care and benefits package. They can work and do what they do. But the main thing is there will be men of the congregation, men in the congregation, whether coming from outside or arising from within, who will be the public speakers of Christ's resurrection. And the Bible calls them all manner of things. It says you should not let false ones stick around. It says they should be authorized and and, seen, treated well. You should even try to give them food so they don't have to work quite as hard because the easier their job is for them to care for you, the better off you're going to be. There's all sorts of stuff about this, but it's effectively the recognition that Jesus rose from the dead. And the only way anybody knows about this or believes this is that somebody talks about it because that's what he wants to have happen. That's his plan, okay, is that it comes out of our mouths again. And more so, he even intends for it to be primarily out of one individual mouth at the center of a congregation with great regularity because that's what he's going to do forever, (laughs) that's what he's going to do forever. It's a microcosm of him, right? So, so that what's a deacon in the Bible, uh, a deacon is a reflection of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who goes out to shepherd people according to the word, which Christ gives. And we see the baptism, the sacrament, which Christ gives now to take that idea and this important wholesale into some sort of like part-time position with a, with a list of, I mean, we're just, we're just abusing the Bible is what we're doing. Whenever we use the word deacon um, in, in, lutheranism on this side of the water there was a there's a history of it on the other side of the water but we're not what Leo was doing with the deaconesses is not what we're doing and so like we just what we're doing instead with these words is we're grasping at theological straws to try to fix the problem which is our lack of repentance over something else i mean we're, the problem with our churches in america is not a lack of deacons if only we had deacons, we'd be safe. So, so I don't know, man. I don't even know what they are or where they are. Where, who who has deacons that you are finding them talking about? I mean, another way to see it, I mean, I, I think in the Anglican Church, the word, because it's an English word, not really a Greek word at this point, um, the English word uh, uh, can mean something just like, like an overseer. I, th- I don't know. I don't know enough about that. Um, but do you hear what I'm saying? So, you have two issues going on. You have that there is not a unified teaching standard within the LCMS, even though we confess that there is one, but there is not one. And there has not one, been one for a long time. And even amongst those who confess the Book of Concord, we do not have a unified teaching standard or way of thinking. And certainly we're not driven by our, the hope of the resurrection. <laughs> we're driven by our fear of losing the LCMS. Uh, and we need to repent of that. Huh? Uh, but instead, what we want to do is like think the answer's in, in deacons or something, or, or maybe it's uh, who knows what. Um, so what do deacons do Know Whatever they, the guy at the church told them to do, right? Whatever that church has them do. Now, to be fair. I have created an office here at my church called Apprentice Vicar. I took a word that could be as far away from the Bible as I could, and I made sure to put the word apprentice on it to make sure that he has no authority whatsoever and that it is never seen as anything that the church needs to understand. Well, this is a young man who's considering seminary education, and he wants to do some liturgy. So we authorized him to do some liturgy as an apprentice vicar. Um, That could be what this is. I don't know. I don't know. My my goal usually with biblical language though is to only use it biblically if I can and I'll come up with some other word because we've got plenty of them. I don't need to tarnish the biblical word but what we want to do, we put the biblical word on what we already want to do so that we can feel like it's biblical. That's not just LCMS. That's just human nature but we do it. We do it too, Lutherans. We do it a lot, right? So so we, we, we're doing something already and we would like to justify what we're doing. So we'll grab a biblical word and find a way to shoehorn it on top and say, see, it's that. It's the Holy Spirit. Here we go, right? Uh, so... Uh, what I can say is this too, though, Chad, here's the thing, you know, the, the path to ordination in institutional churches is expensive. It's expensive. And so one thing that deacons uh, and other, what well, there's, there's other things we call these guys. I can't think of it right now. One, what they're an attempt to do is solve the problem of seminary education being too expensive. And they do it Rather than by saying, oh, the problem is seminary education being too expensive, they try to come up with some other thing besides pastors to, like, have be official now. <laughs> and it's just like, ah, uh, rather than repent, that maybe we're doing it in a way that's trying to please the world and the world is wagging the nose or wagging the tail, uh, wagging the dog, whatever. The, the world is leading us into what we're doing more and more as institutions because we're playing their game. And so we have to find these other ways rather than repent and just say, maybe, maybe the seminaries are too expensive to maintain. Uh, maybe you can't do this kind of thing in the world that's coming. Those questions don't even get asked. Instead, we, we ordain deacons. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's weird. The more important thing out of that, I'm going to go back on that one a little bit more. The more important thing is you just recognize there's no unity. And this isn't just the LCMS. Don't, I'm not picking on the LCMS. I said it already, didn't I? Fragmentation. Fragmentation. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Oh, babo bu- buh, bu- bu. uh, Ah, it must be the one I threw away over there. It's like down underneath. The, uh, underneath. Um, no, here it is. The uncertainty in the Zeitgeist meta catalyzed by the 2020 event fractured the capability of post-Britannia city-states. That would be any institution, by the way. Any institution thinks of itself as a city-state. It, 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 there's just city-states everywhere, right? Um, so all the city-states that were living in in uh, post-Britannia, you know, post-colonialism, um, 2020 has fractured our capability of holding a common story. So unless you have like national media coverage right now, you cannot maintain a common story and you're done. You're done. You're institutionally done. And that's what 2020 has shown is technologically possible from a information warfare perspective. You're all afraid they're going to come knocking your door with guns. No, no. They're just going to keep streaming it into your kid's face and your kid's going to change. That's why inputs is more important, right? Inputs. It's about controlling inputs. Ah, it's about dropping your mouse. Spear back. Oh, so coming back here reminds me. The reason why we went back here is so controlling your inputs. There is no common story. The LCMS does not have a common story. Your congregation might. This is where if your congregation right now is establishing a common story, that's really good. This is the time to do that. If your congregation right now is just keeping the common story of America, I would suggest they're not done changing you yet. And it might be 10 years. Uh, It'll probably be, you know, frog in pot, water, slowly boil. But (sighs) camel knows intent. Yeah, you know that one too. Um, To want what the questioner wants. To want us to have a thing that we know and call it what it is. And we agree on it. That only happens when we're all hearing the same voice tell us what to believe together with some regularity. And the only thing Jesus established for that is the local preaching at an altar. Everything else is not only secondary, but terminal, temporal, potentially not there anymore. And I think, again, what we want to reckon with is that they're not going to be. In 100 years, what will matter is congregations that have a shared common story. And any attempt right now to make an organization that is without a face, an organization without a face, be a common story, cannot succeed, will not succeed. So you must expect, no matter who you are, no matter how happy you think you can be, expect all institutional bodies that just stay on the white noise gravy train to increasingly fracture their ability to share a common story. You will not be able to do it. You will simply be under the guise of whatever else is being said. Now you can have smaller groups that again share, right? Your family should be a place where you have a common story. Um, but what is clear by your question, Chad? Look, you, I don't know. The LCMS doesn't have a common story. Evidently, De- deacons. I don't know. Like we—that's certainly not something that was in the literature, seminary, or the planet. You know, no. It's just sort of like we're just doing stuff, <laughs> uh, uh, somebody, and somebody—and it's just somebody, right? So by virtue of them getting the same healthcare package I do, now we are in communion fellowship with each other. I mean, and there's no way to handle it except for closed door arguments where I have to like accuse the guy in a legal process. And then it takes three years to, to reconcile and no one ever gets to know. And we have to deal with whatever the judge says, no matter what comes out the other side, this is not healthy. This is not healthy. Someone bring me up on charges on that point. So we can expose it all. Cause the last thing I'm ever going to do is shut my mouth about it. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, what I'm trying to tell you, my friend, my friend, Chad reactionary, Is that you're new to the LCMS? Great. Don't put any hope in it whatsoever. Please don't. Please tell me, you have found a pastor who preaches the gospel. Pray for that man. Trust that man. Encourage that man. Uh, Strive to ask that man, how shall we survive going forward once you're gone? And he's like, well, I'm going to be here 20 years. Okay, after that, how do I know my kids are going to be faithful? Because it seems to me that our common story here needs to be unified. And if that means trying to unify around the common story you get once a month in the reporter newspaper, you, you can do that. That's the LCMS reporter. It's not a very unifying periodical. It, it doesn't do unifying very well. That's a long story. And it, to say nothing about the reporting, everyone who makes that thing, you have to. And I know you do. You don't have a choice. So uh, it, it, is, it is higher powers indeed um, that would need to see this, right? Um, but uh, <sighs> we are fractured. And the sooner we can admit that we are fractured, the better we will be at getting unfractured. Right, It's like, you can't grieve until you're sad, people. (laughs) That's my life right there. You can't grieve until you're sad. And if you're living, trying not to be sad, you're never going to grieve, and it's going to hurt. So acknowledge the sad, tragic, awful shadow of death, decay, and darkness reality that you live in. And uh, repent. And then build where you are, right? Remember... You know, whatever the deacons might have been in the New Testament, the pastor at the house, the home, that's the Father. It always has been that way. Talk about the word when you walk on the road with your son. Learn that rest is the scriptures, not entertainment. Learn that rest is the Psalter praying your pain. Learn that wisdom are soft words quietly spoken to encourage a strong life everywhere else. Mm. Mm. Deliverances of Jesus Christ learn that justification is not a theory. It's not a theory. I didn't deny it, you punks. <laughs> <laughs> How do we keep our children in the word? says Wendy. So many grow up and flee. Oh, where was it? Someone had a good comment earlier. Let me let me find this, see if I can find it. they had it. With Darth Mick, I think. Where are you, Darth Mick? Show up on my show up on my thing. Uh uh where is it? Where is it? My answer. Nope. Sankanora's plug. Nope. 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 Anyway. There was a hashtag. Kill your TV. It would have been good if I could have found it. Inputs. It. Inputs. Inputs. Your children are receiving so many inputs from the world. You're not even aware. If you send them away in the morning and don't see them until five, you cannot keep them in the word that way. You cannot do it. God can. I mean, they might stay a Christian. You certainly can do things at home that will be valuable. But please understand that if you give your children to unbelievers to teach them, or even like kind of believers, but they're not their kids, like they don't have a real reason to love your kid more than anybody else, then there is, there you cannot expect them to just stay in the word just because you go to church once a week. Are you in the word? <laughs> right? Now, I'm not trying to accuse you. But for a lot of parents also, right? I think I, I see people who want their kids in church but don't go to church, who want their kids to believe in Jesus but don't read the Bible themselves. I see people who want their kids to be with Jesus so they can go to heaven with their kids but who don't want to give up things in this life that are evidently destructive lifestyles, such as binge-watching. Binge-watching. Um, so how do we keep our children on the Word? You get in the Word yourself. That's how. So many grow up and flee. That's right. What are they fleeing? It's not Christianity. That should tell us something. That should tell... They're not fleeing Jesus. None of them blame Jesus on the cross. None of them are like, He was too forgiving and baptism saved me too certainly. And the Lord's Supper, it was too real a presence for me. I'm out of here. Like, that's not what happens. (laughs) They did not think none of it's true. It should tell you something about our group polity. Like, what are we saying as a body? I mean, the kids are watching their parents specifically and they're picking up on a lot of subcortex signals you know that kind of thing <clears throat> and then also they're they're really attuned to the corporate body the group you are too you just intellectually don't think you are and, and it's sort of a denial process right the the sole part of you that is prepared for herd mentality was trained long ago to have to think about that but it, it acts i read a book called influence if you want to learn about how scary that is um but the kids then they're they're hyper attuned to it because they're learning it right you already learned it they're learning it and so what the kids need is to see the father reading the bible out loud to himself see the mother doing that regularly does that guarantee they say in the church no, no 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 but that's actually what we were told to do it's <laughs> like that's like the encouragement is is do that and what i know is that the modern zeitgeist the american life doesn't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. No. Ain't nobody got time for that. You got. You have to stop. You have, you, have to, you have to realize that you're not going to do something for a while and just be there. And there's just no time for that. There's too much to do tomorrow and the day after and all this, right? So when our children believe that life is about getting ready for tomorrow and the day afterwards in college, well, then they don't believe the world could end tomorrow, do they? Uh, and they don't believe that the likelihood of American civilization going away and them potentially having to have their grandkids live in the dark ages, they don't think that's possible. So to me, those two ideas right there, uh, the real jeopardy of the world, combined with an authentic adult um, belief in the word, must lead to the adult simply speaking and trying to do the word. And that that's how it happens. That's how kids believe. But if you send the kid away. Let me give you another piece of this. I, I've, I've heard it said. I, mean, there, I got a couple of these stories. Um, I once heard a story about a guy who when his son was 18, he presented him with a bill for everything he'd ever spent on him. Told him he had 10 years to pay it back and told him to get out of the house. I hear lots of parents talking about how they want their kids. They can't wait till the kids are out of the house. Well, he'll be off of college and then I can do what I want. If you want your kids to leave, they just might. They just might. So there's something in here that's not even about the word. There's something in here that's just simply about family and modern society, uh, technological society. And people are not going to believe in a word that nobody reads and we all just give lip service to. And if you have not encouraged them to believe that you think they're of value, uh, why would they think what you think is a value is a value, especially once they figure out what's really going on. Yeah. And a lot of these kids are pretty, pretty quick. They know, they know uh, they live in. I mean, I've mentioned hurt before. They tend to American children, particularly tend to develop, um, uh, unique microcosmic societies, uh, batches or clicks within age brackets and groups, small generations that are like six months long kind of thing. um, and they do this to protect themselves from the lack of attention and lack of care, um, esteem care, lack of esteem they receive. Not telling them they're wonderful, but actually just esteeming them. How are you? you know, uh, The lack of esteem they receive in the American education system, in the American standard parenting mindset. Um, and then, I mean, it can get worse. You know, There, there is abuse and all this. But um, let me suggest that if you want to keep your kid in the Word, the most important thing you can do is be in the Word yourself. And the second most important thing you can do is spend time with your kid talking. And those things are hard to do in American society. The whole system has been built to let you not do that, except maybe in the, no, no, pretty much headphones in the car, right? And and it was just contemplation, not much time for it. And certainly not going to tell your kids to contemplate, right? So uh, let me give you another answer here, Wendy. I'm going to say prayer is pretty key, but by this, I don't mean like the, oh, I just keep praying they'll come back to church. Although you should but recognize the the pain of that prayer. Don't see that prayer as like a magic pill. You just do it enough, it'll work. It's, it's, not, it's not it. It's not it. There's a human conscience involved. And that human conscience has already decided that Jesus is not believable. And it has something to do probably with their history with Jesus, which has something to do with us who infla- impacted that history with Jesus. So no matter who you are, no matter what you are, what you should do is repent. Straight up repent. My child fell away. Dear Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on my child. Pray. Pray. It's hard though. You just have to wait then, right? This is where the Psalms are good because they give you different words, (laughs) words to say the same thing. Uh, But to know that the child will not come back to the word by any effort you take, no matter if it's shaming yourself, beating yourself being perfect, doing great things, loving them with all your heart, giving them what they want, giving them not what they want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You shall not be the author of salvation. Deliverance is of Jesus Christ. So if you really, really, really are concerned about salvation of anybody, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers, preachers, into his harvest field. And a preacher gives anybody who confesses this faith to those who they are rightly appointed to do it, right? Mother to child, father to mother and child. Uh, leading men of the congregation to each other in, in consolidation and, and, and conversation, and women likewise, right? And then the man who's called, appointed to be the, the voice of the shepherd up front. Um, all of that has to be bound into a idea this is who we are, that our religion extends outside these doors to our home, that other people we meet in the grocery store are not like us, they are unholy, in fact, often. They are profane, and if you talk to them, you'll find out. Huh? Um Those kinds of ideas have to be uh, imbibed by your children. They have to believe that there are people who are not of less value than them, except for that it's true on the Day of Judgment. It could change between now and then because they can be believers too, and thus the value of Christ is imputed to them. But, But in the meantime, you, having Christ imputed to you, are of infinitely more value than any human being that does not because they are all creatures of wrath. Sleepwalkers born for destruction. So um, how do you keep your kids in the Word? Talk like that. <laughs> you know, get serious with your boys about the warfare of their world and how really there's this ancient demon called the devil who would like to take their hope away and their joy away. And he'll do it by giving them all sorts of candy and toys uh, and teaching them to go chase everything and it'll be despair in the end and how you, thankfully, have been revealed that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead to save you from this. And that's why our family always bows down at this cross of our Lord and King knowing he comes again to judge this planet. Keep it real. Keep it real, Wendy. Keep it real. Viking LL1 says, Nice. When we say Romans 8 Catholic, what specifically are we trying to emphasize? That's That's such a fun question for me. What time we got? Give me a minute. I'll be right back. So, this is an idea. This is an idea. The idea is that For 500 years, we Lutherans have been apologizing, defending the faith. I like Chris Roseboro too. But I'm thinking that maybe the posture is a mistake. The posture. And that rather than trying to be like, I'm Lutheran, not Catholic. Maybe I should explain what Lutheran means and and explain that, Lutheran means, and this is my term now, Romans 8 Catholic. What does it mean? It means I'm excommunicated for believing the book of Romans, mostly. And then, Romans 8 specifically. And then Romans 8 verse 1 uh, even more specifically. Oh, <laughs> Hello. Oh, that's why. There we go. Get rid of this. Get rid of this. Get to this. There it is. Took long enough, huh? Um... Specifically, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a Roman eight Catholic. Do you believe that? Are you Roman Catholic? Huh. Does the Pope believe that? Trent doesn't quite say that. But I don't care. I don't care. You're not going to turn Trent over. What I want to do is convince as many people as possible that there's only one kind of Christianity, and it's Romans 8 Catholicism. You can call it Lutheranism if you want. No one knows what you mean when you say that. But if you say Romans 8 Catholicism, they say, what do you mean? <laughs> you say, well, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic who believes that, and therefore I don't go to Roman Catholic Church because the Pope won't let me. But I, I really believe in you know the Catholic Church uh, as the, the Western extension of Christ's historical church on earth. I really believe that the Pope sits in the seat, which is the visible manifestation of the center of the church on earth, and therefore, rightly, by excommunicating us for these kinds of things, uh, deserves the term Antichrist. He really deserves to be called the Antichrist because he has used the power that could be used to absolve all people, to instead bind them with chains and destroy their consciences with half-truths about how—well, there's all sorts of half-truths. So— but rather than do that, right, what I want to do is just convince all the Roman Catholics out there, including the ones that aren't Roman Catholic, that Romans 8 is a unifying reality that cuts through many old arguments with, again, the same idea, the deliverances of Jesus Christ. And if we can start understanding that, we'll find that we're in far more agreement than we think. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, rather than trying to get the Pope cheese, maybe you can, you can get that like, local Roman Catholic bishop to have a thought or two about some things. Maybe the Reformation isn't over, people. That's what Romans 8, Catholic, means. Maybe why we're dying Lutherans is because we act like the Reformation failed, and instead we just gave up. We just gave up. And I'm not done giving up. I think the most unifying thing I can say in Christianity today is that the Pope is the Antichrist. It's the most unifying thing I can say. I can unify more people with that idea than almost any other idea. I would like to say deliverances of Jesus Christ would be able to do it as you would see in a conversation with someone who wants to debate justification you know it might not work right but then again so that's the point that's the point point. and by saying that the pope is the antichrist is a unifying thing i'm saying that the roman catholic church is in fact the true church of god on earth so anyone who gets mad at me oh how can you say the pope is the antichrist that means you think roman catholics aren't christians no that thinks that means i think roman catholics are christians <laughs> the antichrist in the bible rules over christians not non-christians and he harms them he deceives them right and and so he tries to take the visible church and use it to steal jesus from you so to acknowledge that uh, i think it's a, it's a very unifying thing and then again to go back to romans 8 as the place where we should trust there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit what does it mean to walk according to the spirit there's a lot of the spirit's life in christ jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death so to walk in the spirit is to know that Christ is risen and deliverance is of Jesus Christ. Period. I am not subject to the law of sin and death. I'm not subject to, did I do this? Therefore, I will be punished. I'm not subject to that anymore. That is the change in cosmology. Cosmology! Okay? For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. So, so nothing could be done. It's done now. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Was the spirit to believe that Jesus delivered us? Ah! For to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life in peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please... God. So it also then a Roman Catholic recognizes that there is one church, and outside that church there is no salvation. Hey, You shouldn't have a problem with that, right? Catholics like it sounds good, except for the no condemnation in Jesus part that you have to like go do stuff to like fix. But also fine, that's fine. Like I'm a Catholic too, and I just don't do those things. But we agree that Jesus is the Savior, right? Okay, so th- that's what I mean. That's what I mean. I mean, do you get me? I want to take it over. I want to take it all over uh, quietly, slowly, cleverly, one person at a time, one parish at a time. I think we can do it, people. I think we can. Um, you, all you got to do is convert the Roman Catholics. You don't even have to join. Just convert the Roman Catholics. Maybe they'll join you. I don't know. I think that we have to talk in a more unifying way. and I think Romans 8 is pretty good. That's what I think. But but you are not in the flesh, but of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, you should say, yeah, it does. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Okay, yeah. So if, if you don't think you're a Christian and you won't believe it when I tell you you're a Christian because you're baptized, okay, that's you. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. I'm already dead right? Uh, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. I'm alive forever. But if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he does. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. That's like right now through the spirit who dwells in you. Uh, actually, actually, no, it's not right now. It is isn't. it isn't. The life through your mortal bodies this is the resurrection talk here, right? So because we're going to get resurrection in the future, therefore right now we are debtors not to the flesh, not to this life. Your goal is not to have a good life. The more you think I want to have a good life, the more you are actually setting yourself up for failure in this life. You're setting yourself up to learn uh, how much uh, you can't do it. Now, will the Lord give you a peaceful and quiet life? He can. He can. Pray for it. Ask for it, right? Uh, but you are a debtor. You are a debtor not to live your best life now, not to get what you can, not to see every opportunity as one. If you miss it, it'll be gone forever. Instead, you are a debtor to realize the resurrection is coming and you've lost nothing. You're going to get a hundredfold back. There is nothing you can lose in this life. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die, right? So if you forget that and you decide what this life is about, yeah, you're outside the church. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So again, by believing that Christ is sufficient, by believing that deliverance is of Jesus Christ, then this faith allows you to begin to strive for good works. You would think this wouldn't be something we argue about and divide over so we can you know, sue each other for schools and cathedrals, but that's, that's what we do. Uh, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So what I think, again, is that the Catholics, Roman Catholics who are Christians and Lutherans who are Christians, will be able to agree on most of Romans 8. That's what I think. And that if we were to start there, we might be able to have a dialogue that got us further. They won't go far enough because there's some real problems. But I mean, if you're going to do it like on an official national level, like we're going to dialogue with the Roman Catholic Church. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your neighbor over the fence. Your neighbor over the fence who wants priests to be married, who doesn't understand a bunch of stuff, who thinks there's a lot of wasted money, who has very little say, but who loves Jesus, right? Like that person. And then... Don't try to make them a Lutheran. Tell them to convert the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> you know, why not? Why not? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Like, right? Right? And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, join us with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that's kind of an important little piece. I expect it. Suffering's coming. We will be glorified with him. For I consider that the present sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. It's about, you know, the, the trees are tired of your sin too. And they're kind of hungry for the resurrection day to come. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That is when we, sons of God, rise from the dead on the last day, all creation gets to come with us, and the liberty that they get with us in Christ is, well, it's what we're hoping for. <laughs> it's, it's what we're looking forward to. It's the thing you can use to consolidate your suffering soul when the present turmoil seems too big to overcome to acknowledge that the emotional flashback you endure at that moment is but a passing reality. And you know that because the very earth you live on is a passing reality that does not end with your death, but with your resurrection into a life in which you will not feel those things which assault you so much. Rather, you will feel what you ought to be in joy. Yeah? Uh, what, a, what a thing to imagine. What a thing. For we know that the whole creation, here it is, same, same idea, right? We're groaning. We're groaning, waiting for this to happen. Uh, Not only that, we also are the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves eagerly waiting for the redemption of the body. So right now, the spirit's first fruits is that you believe this in a body that doesn't look like it. (laughs) And that can't actually achieve it. But you believe it's true anyway. Metamorphosis, right? Chrysalis. 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 You're you're the caterpillar. For we are, but you're the caterpillar who gets it. You know. You're the caterpillar who can see the butterfly. And you know it's coming. You don't get to be it. You just have to wait and learn to speak about the one who makes butterflies. Uh, For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is not seen... Hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? So what he's saying there is that, obviously, it's not come yet. Hope will exist until the day of resurrection. Uh, Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. That is to say that when you're arguing with anybody and they're a Christian, you're a Christian, the Spirit's actually at work praying for you both and you don't even know it. And that, again, iron sharpening iron, I would think the more you study the Scriptures together... It wasn't like at the Diet of Augsburg, the Lutherans and the Romans sat down and read the Bible together. What they did was they presented legal cases for why they should be in charge of the empire. Kind of. Rome did. And then Luther's like, just let us stay here, right? So, like, Romans 8 Catholic means I'm still a Catholic. I've just been excommunicated and I've been ordained. But I really think that uh, we should read Romans 8 together. And it might solve some of our problems. It might give us a platform by which we could extend maybe back to Romans 4. <laughs> no. uh, maybe forward. Maybe forward to Romans 16. Um, you know, all those kinds of things. Now, he who searches the hearts, twenty seven verse 27 says, uh, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit being within you knows everything about you, including the worst parts of you, so that when you pray, he intercedes to make it all what you need. And Jesus catches it all and then turns around and says it much better than you to the Father. And then the Father always says yes to what Jesus says. And knowing this, we know all things work for good for those who love God. Hear love God not as some feeling you have to have to perform, but instead those who hear what God has said about who they are and believe it. To those who are, It defines it right there, Those who are called according to his purpose. That's your baptism. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. right? So he has, he has chosen you. You've heard it called to you. The justification has happened on the cross. <laughs> Unless you're a Roman Catholic, I guess. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Uh, that's you. You're glorified. You just don't feel it yet. Yeah, your sanctification is a glory you cannot see. And in large part, it is the knowledge that your justification is sufficient. Now that knowledge that your justification is sufficient will not cause you to want to hate people and hurt them and take advantage of them. And if it does, then you don't believe. (laughs) And you should be told that. Uh, But because you do believe, right, your justification is sufficient and your sanctification being a hunger to know that justification will, new obediently, will regenerate you so that you will strive to hurt people less even though you will find often the best thing to do is hold your tongue. Uh, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, great Pope. That's what I want to know. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Memorize that one if you can. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Love it. Who? Wait, who does it? What works? Is it works or faith? Is it works or faith that justifies? It's a red herring at this point. There's a right answer, but it's a red herring at this point. Who is he who condemns? Deliverances of Jesus Christ. It is Christ who died. Furthermore, also is risen. Who, even at the right hand of God, makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us? You know this verse, right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, no, is the answer because the scripture that's quoted, uh, for Jesus Christ's sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. That means that when you have yourself crucified, when they come to martyr you, If it happens, and it doesn't have to happen, but when they do, for your sake we are being killed all day long, that cannot separate you from Jesus. Nothing. It's the other way around. Because you know that he considers your martyrdom a gift to you. Because he promises that. You can take this verse, for your sake we are killed all day long, and you can acknowledge that every thumb pressing you down, every pain that you feel, every weight of justice that that shows you your shame, that kills you, that that too is there not to separate you from Jesus, but instead to show you that in Jesus you are more than a conqueror. A conqueror would have to overcome the problem. A conqueror would have to be better forever. You don't have to do that. You are more than a conqueror because you are loved by him forever. Ooh, that felt good, didn't it? Yeah, you are more than a conqueror, not because you conquer, but because the conqueror has loved you. Ah! So Paul can say he's persuaded neither death, life, angels, principalities, powers, present, future, height, depth, any other created thing. That'd be you too, by the way, can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what I mean by Roman C. Catholic. I don't know if I answered your question at all, Uh, but it it certainly got the, um, oh, I don't even know what I'm doing now. It certainly got uh, my blood flowing. It's a propaganda concept. What do you think? Should we grab it more? I just think the idea of branding, Mad Christianity as Roman eight, Romans 8 Catholicism is just it's just a good target audience is what I'm thinking, you know? I mean, I'm not trying to lie. I'm trying to be super honest in a way that happens to put me in the liar's path so that the person who's being led astray by the liar finds my truth. Mm-hmm. Is that good or bad? I don't know. I've been gaming for too long. I mean, yesterday I... God, I, um, ah, I hear some of my pain. Yesterday... And got up like I always do. I always get up and come down, make coffee, do all that. Come down, sit here, drink coffee, <laughs> breathe a little bit, pray, uh, get into my Sons of Solomon Psalms. Uh, try to do it every way. Uh, remember the Sabbath of the day by keeping it holy, I say, because I want to remember that rest in the morning always will be better uh, when I've got those Psalms and throughout the day. It's, it's just true. But so then I did all that yesterday morning. And then I I stepped back and I, I, I sat where I don't normally sit in my room uh i have uh, actually it's, it's a great chair it's, it's like a dining room chair that we bought that was on sale and so it was like cheaper and it was really solid expensive one at a at a you know nice store that i'd never buy furniture at um it had a sale and we walked in and i got the chair uh anyway i it, it used to be my chair at the dining room table and we have a new set now there nice round table it's really cool high top round table um and so the chair doesn't fit anymore so it's just been down here in my my workshop uh moving around, trying to figure out where to go. And I don't know, uh, recently I just, I just sit on it and stare at the workshop and think about like, okay, now what? Now what? Um, for the first time in my life yesterday, uh, I was able to tell myself I'd done enough. That might not mean much to you and that's okay. But if it helps you, I hope it does. It's hard to get to that point. I don't want to stop helping y'all. I don't plan to disappear. But I'm learning about my own heart and you know why I've pushed so hard to be out here with y'all like this. It's not all. It's not all good. Um, certainly, my faith is behind all of this. My faith is in here. My hunger, my searching for peace by knowing that peace is in Christ, you can hear it when I shout it because I'm shouting it to me. I need to hear it. I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I just believe it. (laughs) Uh, So learning, I think maybe, when I I said yesterday, I just can't, I don't have to, I can't do anything more. It was an acknowledgement that from my part, I'm never going to feel what I want to feel in this life. And if you just want to Google CTPSD, go for it. I'm never going to feel what I want to feel. Um, And that's caused me to just, I mean, so much of what I've done publicly has been trying uh, to attain a salvation story from my childhood, probably. Um, And uh, uh, it doesn't mean that none of it's true. It's all true. Uh, It's just behind it. I've been searching for something else too, hoping that somehow through this process of uh, publicizing my, my faith, um, that I would find what i'm searching for too is i as i seek to give what I believe i found right in Christ and what I've learned recently is that um, you know sometimes what you're searching for is actually just a temporal problem that has to be there and it just is there you can't do anything about it and that's where then you know when you've spent a, 42 years on a quest and you find the answer and then there's nothing you can do about it I mean, you can, there's not true. There's that's, that's, that's black or white thinking, which I shouldn't do. Um, there is much I can do about it, but I will be unable to solve the problem. I've been trying to solve my whole life. That's the diagnosis. And uh, actually it's kind of relieving too, in its own way. Uh, it's it changed the direction. But what it means is that like I sat there and I, was, I didn't do anything was like three hours. I just sat there and it's because everything that I would tell myself to do was built upon some sh- sort of like shame. Like if I don't get up and do it now, Bad things will happen in the world and it's my fault. And uh, I don't think you have to deal with what I deal with to have that kind of talk in your head. <laughs> and uh, and so I was fighting it, right? I was fighting it. I was like, no, the world won't end if I sit here for three hours. It, it won't. I mean, it could. I'll watch, right? But, but it, uh, that would be good. Uh, but it's not going to end because I failed. And uh, finding that moment, I mean, you can call it contentment in the theories. That's helpful. It really wasn't for me, though. It's pain, actually. It's sadness. I found sadness. I've been, I've been avoiding sadness for a long time. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I'm sure I'll share more about this in the future uh, but I don't, I don't want to like belabor it today what I want to share with you though is how freeing it can be I mean contentment is one way to say it uh, the idea good enough I've done enough in terms of trying to prove myself right so if you can forgive me for just being vulnerable here again you know all this it's all trying to prove myself and while well, I said it's been a healthy week ah there's no more proven. <laughs> you got what you got here. I I am who I am and uh you got what you got. So, I'm not going to go away. I just don't know how to keep being who I am. What I learned about myself in terms of this diagnosis, and again, I gave it to you can google it if you want. Um it's 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 like a, a learning disability of sorts. I guess one way to look at it. Um I'm high functioning for sure, but what I mean, I've been searching for this diagnosis like my whole life, too. And so, like, to like have it in a book, they're like, oh, yeah, like every sentence is about me, uh, except for those I don't believe, but oh, oh. <laughs> so, it, it, there's a tremendous relief when you find something like that you've been looking for. And yet, when you realize that what you found was a sinful condition of humanity in some ways, that because of the history that um, you received, physically it can't be undone. You know, the brain is done, it's developed. Um, and uh, yeah, is not the word, Nathirius. Thank you, though. But it, it is, it is, it is, though, too. It's just, it's just more, what I'm content with is sadness, which is a weird thing to say. I am, I am sad. And I'm going to be sad for a while, I think. But what's important, I think, for you to hear from that is that it's okay to be sad. That's why I'm sharing this. Like, it's okay to sit there and realize that it's not done, there's more you could do. But you've done enough, and you just feel like it's time to cry, or like it's time to sit, or like it's time to weep and be sad, um, time to think on your anger and not act on it, pray about it. Right? Um, if you don't have a space in your life where you're free to do that, let me encourage you to try. Let me encourage you to try. Um, ah, yeah, embracing your thorn—that's that's more like it in the theories for where I'm at. I got I got a thorn for sure. I, and I can diagnose it now. I've whole life of wonder what it is. I can diagnose it now. So I'm sure I will become an advocate for this in the future. Cause whenever you have your life impacted by something of this magnitude, you will inet- inevitably, if you're, if you're able to struggle through it as a survivor, which I am, um, <sighs> saying that's hard. Uh, Inevitably, you're going to benefit from talking about it to others and helping others who have the same problem. So, again, what have I been on? If you want to Google it, you can. There's plenty of information out there. C-T-P-S-D. It is not PTSD. Um, It's worse. Uh, But uh, (laughs) deliverances of Jesus Christ. It's also something you can manage, which is really good news. And the, the biggest piece is having a name for the condition. I've been diagnosed unofficially and officially with so many things over a lifetime. The pills I've been put on a lifetime and it this is helpful. It's helpful, right? And why, why am I sharing it with you? I'm look, the di- the diagnosis, I have no self-esteem. I have no self-confidence, nor do I have the soul to have it. Like you go, go read about it. It's true. I'm missing emotions. They will never come certain. Not all of them, just certain ones, <laughs> uh, like pleasure. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so living entirely in, in, in sadness and pain my entire life, and then trying to suppress it with all manner of workaholism, perfectionism, whatever it takes, right? um what what now the only way I overcome that is i just tell you about it like, i'm in pain and and you can like tell me how it's bad you can try to make me fix it. i can't fix it 42 years of that the future for anyone who's got this is just to acknowledge it own it and then you can begin to see the loop and, and control the piece. shut the mouth get the anger under control know what's going on the trick with ctpsd is that the anger um is uh you're not even aware of it you don't know it's there you're in a flashback. And uh, you're you're like two. (laughs) So what does that mean? I just said this publicly. Would you like to have a conversation about whether someone can serve as a pastor while having this? It's probably a conversation we should have. Um, I'll be the guinea pig if you want to do that. Uh, that, That's scary. (laughs) I think the answer is yes, based on what I'm seeing, but I continue to struggle with that. Um, Nothing that this does uh, is, when you say high functioning, it means that uh, publicly, this is not an issue. This is nothing that happens publicly. Uh, this is entirely something in my own private heart and largely the people who see it are my family and thank God for my family. <laughs> they're, they're awesome. They're really good in this. And, uh, finding this, I think, uh, is, ah. Uh, let me just say that this morning I was late cause I was hanging out with my family. It was great. It was great. So, 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 all right, we're at 1034. I know there's more questions here in the back, um, that I would like to get to. So I'm going to, I'm going to scroll up here. Now uh, let's see here. Uh, and I'm just going to keep scrolling until I find one. I know I can pull in. You'll have to bear with me on that. What of the Greek Christians? Salvation can exist outside the Roman Catholic Church, but not outside of Christ. One of the best lines from the Luther movie. The question, what are the Greek Christians? You're talking about Greek Orthodoxy. That's what I'm saying. The most unifying thing we can do is say the Pope's Antichrist. And they used to kind of think that. They don't quite at the moment, but like they might. <laughs> and then you're like, if we're all together and it's just the Pope, maybe we can convince the people who are with the Pope to change their mind. I don't know. I mean, I don't have uh, an eschatology that tells me whether or not we will have a visible unity in the church before Christ comes back or not in a healthy way or not. I am not a pre-mill. And so I, I don't buy all of these one way or the others. I think no one knows the day of the hour. and There's all manner of possible future at the moment Christ returns. So again, I think we should put our, our, our meat and potatoes in reforming the actual visible church, not starting our own. We always say we didn't want to start our own. Well, then don't. I um, know oh, you got a building, okay, but then why? Right, that's the question. So, what are the Greek Christians? Same thing. They're just further away. There's less of them here. I think we could find a lot more unity with them if we didn't try to argue about justification in our first letter. Go read them. Go read the letters. Now, it wasn't like the constant the, the the patriarch of Constantinople at the time was so friendly either. It it was. It's you gotta see it as elites who are protecting their power more than about the theology. Now, the Lutherans many of them weren't just elites protecting their power. However, they couldn't see like down to who they were arguing with where, and the the manner of the argument was all but impossible to be heard given the time and space. Now, could the spirit have made it open? Yes, of course he could. He didn't, right? So the Greek Christians are like a morass of wide open, all manner of other things, much of which is Christian, some of which is not, just like every other group. (laughs) You know, they're as fragmented as we are. They just don't, They acknowledge their only unity is the liturgy, it would seem. Uh, Only unity. They acknowledge that the the unity can be seen in the liturgy. Uh, And then they talk about being in Christ. This language of being in Christ is as important to them as anything else. And so, in the sacramental nature of that, they get that too. Am I saying Eastern Orthodoxy is right? Am I going there? No, 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 no! Uh, You asked a question about the Greeks. I'm saying the Greeks are people that we should be able to build a bridge to. We should be able to build a bridge to communion bridge i don't know but a conversation about how to live as christians in this age while the crazy goes on yes (laughs) yes oh man all right coming back uh, looking for questions on the side here for the last last 30 minutes uh ryan says this one too uh when we see is our question yeah when when will i see a truly 24 7 confessional christian community move to rockford oh you just were here weren't you (laughs) hey the goal the dream the hope uh 24 7 I was sharing with my wife uh, just the other day how much I'd kind of like to make like an IHOP, a Lutheran IHOP. You remember, know about IHOP? I did a video about that long ago. They're shut down now, I believe. They got sued finally. But uh, it was a, it's a clever gimmick. It, it was how can we have, you know, it, it was the idea that Jesus will return only after we pray hard enough. That's the lie. So, what we'll do is we'll start a church that has worship services 24/ seven that people from all over the world can hear about and come to and help make happen with classes and things and you know camps and everything so no one's really permanent except a small group of people and everyone else comes from all over the world and uh, and we'll have 24/ seven worship till Jesus comes back because we're gonna bring him back now if you just take off that bring him back thing <laughs> and just leave it at what would it be like to have a truly 24 seven church where Not that you would have, like, music all the time. That's what they did. But you would always have maybe some form of contemplative music. uh, Prayer, psalter, available kind of thing. Open. That you would even think that's the life you want. That today, I will go by my church to pray. Because I do it every day. This is part of life, right? Uh, When will we see that? Well, we need to try to work toward those things, right? And Ryan, when I give you the pitch to move to Rockford, I mean it. Like, that that would be my prayer. Is that St. Paul can be that kind of a hub and that kind of a place. I don't know if we're going to have 24-7, but... uh, You have to grab these big ideas, right? And then prey on them and then take what's in front of you today and work toward that. So yeah, uh, constant mobility for work males is challenging. That's where if you listen to A Brief History of Power, some of the discussion right now is about how much do you have to check out of the financial dreams you thought you were going to have? And that's going to be different for everybody. Wealth by itself is not the problem. But insofar as your work mobility prevents you from raising your children in the faith, given the other questions that have been had, it's not like you're going to go to judgment and say like, well, it's not my fault. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. So, but the issue of the working male, uh, it's the working woman too. The issue of working outside the home, the issue of the home, not being itself a com- an economy, even though the word economy comes from the word home in Greek, uh, that we've, we've exchanged, the home for the city-state. And that's, again, what I'm what I'm saying. The city-states are fragmenting and unable to stay together. They can't even maintain their own narrative. So when will we see a Christian community that becomes its own city-state? Uh, I think we're seeing many of them in embryo right now And St. Paul Rockford's one of them. That's what I can tell you. It's an embryo, though. It's an embryo. Um, but, you know, 10, 15 years with the right people? Yeah. Um, but it's going to take people who are willing to come together for this. You're not going to just be able to all stay where we are and have it happen where we are. Uh, and... So be it. I mean, they used to travel across the Pacific ocean to do this on boats with like nothing but the clothes on their back. That's how the LCMS's founding group did it. So whenever you decide that it's really bothering you, right, you don't have to do that much. Um, but I get how removing oneself from the work environment that guarantees certain incomes and outputs and things. I get that. I get that. Um, I'm not telling you you have to do it. But then you have to look at it as the slavery that it is. So that's where brief history of power, I think, helps. The more you can just see it, then, okay, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. And so I cannot be at home all the time. I cannot go to the church I want to go to in that place. I have to be here because I'm a slave. Okay, the more you can see that and own it, the easier it gets, actually. You can you're, you can do it more. You can, you can take the food where it comes rather than try to create the perfect world in which you're not a slave. And remember that Unless you're elite, you, you you are you are a slave. Um, all right, let's see. I know I saw a bunch of questions. There's a super chat. Risk Riskit said this: uh, What is the symbolism behind making the sign of the cross? My Protestant family members are confused and just see it as Roman Catholic ritual. Rawr. Yeah. Um, I want to. I'm trying to come up with a ritual from the Protestant world I could just throw back at them, but. Uh, <sighs> Like, the idea that you cannot have ritual is just so ludicrous. It's just so ludicrous. The ritual of the Protestants is to say they don't have ritual, you know? And they do it religiously uh, as, as a dead letter that they just repeat without thinking about it, you know? It's, it's like a prayer. It's like a written prayer for them, practically. It's a written prayer argument apologetic. Anyway, <laughs> what is the symbolism behind making the sign of the cross? So when you are baptized in a Christian church that uses any form of liturgy that's older than the pastor. <laughs> you will, in it, see a place where it says, receive the sign of the Holy Cross upon your head and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. So at the moment of your baptism, you are told that the symbol of the sign of the cross has now been given to you to mark you as one, quote, redeemed by Christ the crucified. That would be baptized, right? You're, you are in Christ now receive the sign of the cross to mark you as one in Christ. So what's the symbolism of it? I am in Jesus Christ. I am baptized, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Any of those work, they all mean the same thing, and they all are me remembering that I am not my own, that I've been bought with a price, and that I should honor God with my body, which means, first and foremost, believing I belong to him. And since your Protestant family doesn't like remembering that and thinks only Roman Catholics should, I guess then they're going to miss out. <laughs> Roman Catholics do sometimes remember it the way I just told you, at other times, they do use it as a magic charm uh, because that's what pagans do. Anybody who has flesh will create magic charms of some kind. And the more you're into your religion, the more likely they get close to it. Now, the more you're discerning and wise, you can see your magic charms and remove them. But you've got them. You've got them. Right? So just don't pretend you don't have this. The Protestants, that's the thing. is They're like, oh, look at all those magic charms. There's bells and there is smoke. And then they turn around and they watch football and cheerleaders and they drink or whatever or they don't and they turn around and they beat people up about how they drink <laughs> you know it's like as opposed to as opposed to believing that in every moment one more opportunity to remember that deliverance is of Jesus Christ is worth it and if making my hand fly over my body or holding this piece of metal can remind me that I am not alone and that I've been bought by Jesus and that he owns me all the way to the end and you got a problem with that then that's your problem and it probably really is your problem, actually. You know what I find amongst Protestants that bothers me more than anything else? No grace. Not in terms of like, oh Jesus, he saved me by grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sun. They turn around and no grace. This way. None. No empathy. Certainly no debt. If I do something for you, you must do something back. Oh no, I wouldn't want to be in debt to you. Oh, I got to do it, right? That bothers me. Y'all Christians. Y'all Christians, you can't handle a gift. Uh, that's something weird. That's that's weird. Uh, you, sh- <laughs> you should. Christ is a gift. Christ is only gift. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. That is the bigger issue. Garth uh, Mick says, remember that in the actual frog in slowly boiling water is from way back. Uh, the frog always jumped out when the water got too hot until he started lobotomizing the frogs. I didn't know that. I did just break my pen. I didn't know that. So they had I always thought it was just the frog. So, well, what is the TV? What is the TV? Tell us vision. Tell us vision. Okay, uh, I know there are still more questions. There was one I saw very much earlier that I really want to get to. So I'm gonna keep scrolling and just wandering with my voice until we get. Wow, you guys had a lot of comments today. Not enough what li- not enough likes. I feel unliked. I feel unliked. We got 170 of you watching. 29 likes do i have to beg You're gonna make me beg all right i'm still scrolling because i know there was one question mark way at the start of the show and i don't want to leave it behind oh there's this one. Oh, there's a couple more here we go can you talk about the power influence effect a dad has over his family <laughs> can i and children how that gets messed up when the dad is a super it just gets messed up <laughs> whatever dad's trauma is and he's probably got one of some kind it's going to impact his behaviors his behaviors will then be reflected in the family. There is no avoiding this. This is not a matter of what he wants to do. Now, by wanting to relegate your behaviors according to the word of God, you can send a much more permanently lasting message. You can establish a more permanently lasting culture. But the fact is that you're not going to get away from being messed up. <laughs> Nobody is. Nobody is. You know, I mean... I'll tell you, mine's worse, but (laughs) nobody is. Nobody is. Uh, And so the power influence the father has over his child is godlike. Godlike Uh, to the child, to the child, in the child's mind. Godlike. And the mother too, but a different kind of God. And both of them together provide a pathway for healthy cognitive development wherein the baby who initially has no identity apart from being bound to the mother gradually binds to the father and thus as three is able to see comparing the two i'm not either of those and yet as he grows he'll learn he still thinks he kind of is and then he'll become not i'm not and then as you get older like my age like oh yeah i still am (laughs) um so you go through like that, that, that kind of phase but the fact is then again whatever the father's psyche is whatever the mother's psyche is, whatever the words they say to themselves are, which won't be the ones they say in public, that is what they will tell their children when they're very young. And that is what the children's internal monologue will become. So if a father's a narcissist, he's going to have narcissist kids or the ones that enable narcissism, right? Because you tend to have enabling going on, which is its own form of similar things. Um, It it isn't like health. (laughs) Uh, It it is. So people who have uh, these kinds of diagnosable spirit disorders, uh, they tend to hook up with each other. That is, they, they link, their minds and hearts link with those of like or similar problem, which can lead to a, a promoting of this generationally when the Lord says, third and fourth generation to those who hate me. I think this is part of that reality. You just can't avoid it. And yet I also constantly am taking encouragement to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, you know, never... There's never a moment when your narcissism, if you happen to be a diagnosable narcissist, which there aren't that many, there's probably a lot more CTPSD out there than actual diagnosable narcissism. If you happen to be an actual diagnosable narcissist who gets it, you can stop it simply by knowing and believing and teaching that Jesus stops it. And maybe your kids still have all that trauma and the next generation down, they're able to be kind. It's happened in the past. Pagans can do it. There's places where there are people who are kind. So, so... You know, a father who finds himself in a situation where there's a messed up situation or kids where they find themselves in a situation where they know the father has been traumatizing to them or the mother has been traumatizing to them. Um, this is sin. This is like what we mean as Christians. We talk about original sin. Well, it's not an idea. It's your own internal psyche's evil inherited from your father as he spoke to you or did not speak to you, as the case may be, as and your mother, as she spoke to you or did not speak to you, as the case may be, and as their own idiosyncrasies turned shames, turned errors, turned fears, turned idols, become yours. And then without um, a clear antidote, forgiveness, love, shelter, that's when it does the most damage to people who um who will end up kind of reliving this somewhere out there in the world and really like, like I'm in a gutter kind of way, right? But there's a lot of people who then spend a lifetime reliving it uh, uh as I said earlier, um uh, high functioning, right? So you're in a lot of pain, you're struggling with, with your life, um, but you function well and yet you're you always feel like you're retreating to height and you're always putting on the show of who you're pretending to be so that others will think you're safe and you're okay, even though you're terrified, right? Um so I don't know, I'm kinda of on my thing there a little bit, but but if you're a child again and you find yourself in these positions where you, you're having that happen to you, where you are terrified, what's very important that you'd be able to do um is be angry at your dad. uh be angry at your dad and uh and acknowledge that if your father is in fact a diagnosable narcissist i'm gonna answer this question directly your father's a diagnosable narcissist he actually does not see other humans like when i when a narcissist if they are one i'm not talking about they're selfish it means they have no human emotional capacity to acknowledge you exist on the same human level as they do this is it is strictly that they are better than you and they can't, they don't think that. They only feel that. It is a, it's a, it is a reptilian reality. That's why it's so hard for an actual narcissist to, to change. I, I'm not one. Um, <laughs> I have CTPSD. It's awful. But narcissism, it, it is, it, if you really are there, if that really is who you are, your father is that, you must acknowledge it. You must call it what it is. You must call it wrong to his face, not necessarily. the mirror probably to jesus yeah absolutely and you gotta learn to forgive it right you can't forgive it if you don't think it's wrong you can't grieve it if it doesn't make you sad you have to let the box open and then you can face it so what i would say is anybody who is a child who's grown up where they feel they have had a traumatizing experience the most important thing you do is focus on the safe relationships that you do have those in which you know the people will seek your good rather than your ill, right? You trust those. And that's why, again, turn off the white noise. <laughs> all these people, they aren't seeking your good at all. They don't, have, they don't care about you. They're just going to sell you stuff. So there's that. And then let's say, you know, the whole dynamic question here, Cafe Sola, is really like, you know, how much influence does a father have? Uh, he's God. He's God till that kid's like 14. <laughs> and the kid can't tell the difference. Like, he'd, he'd say, my father's not God. But like, emotionally, his body lives with the belief that his protection from God exists embodied in the Father, and if the Father cannot convince the child that that's true, this will this will create difficulties in self development. Yeah, yeah. Does that help? I hope it helps. I don't know. I don't know. Can anger be channeled through imprecatory slumber? Yes. <laughs> Have I not been saying this? Is this not my point? Yes. You don't even have to channel it through imprecatory Psalms. You can channel anger through through Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The point is that anger is the emotion of noticing injustice. And if you don't have any, there's something terribly wrong with you. You should always be angry at injustice. Now, again, the Bible teaches that the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. So your anger at injustice, which is good does not mean that you acting on what you think should be done to make it just will be just <laughs> in fact you can know betty man's average original sin it will be unjust and so this is where the thing to do is lift ha- lift holy hands not in, in rage, but in prayer the thing to do is to learn to hold the tongue uh, master the tongue that's the way to control the whole body as james says uh and so uh, channeling that anger through prayers whatever whatever scripture you can open and as much as you can pray for your enemies with those words, and, as, and you, you have to know that every imprecation is against yourself. And you have to know that every imprecation is a prayer for the salvation of the one you pray against as well. Because it's not the only verse in the Bible. And you know the full doctrine of God, which is that He wants to save them all. But He does this through you actually owning the imprecatory prayers. And that those who will not be saved will have that prayed against them. And on Judgment Day, we're going to stand over hell. Do you get this, people? It's good news. We're going to stand over hell. And we're going to cheer as the devil, his angels, and all those zombies get thrown down into that fire, and we never have to deal with it again. And my own flesh—it's already gone. It's already gone. Jesus took that one. Yeah, Jesus took that one, right? Can our anger be channeled through the imprecatory psalm prayer? It better be. Why isn't it? That's the problem. You want to know what's wrong with the church? What happened to America? Why did Christianity fall? Have we been praying the imprecatory psalms? Anybody been praying psalms at all? Anybody? Don't, I'm not saying it's like up to us, justified by works, but there's this thing where like faith is real and then believes and does in time and that involves scripture and Psalms. And when that goes away, it's like, well, the you know man looking in the mirror, forgetting himself, all that kind of thing. Ah! Good. What is the Britannia city-state... Brian says, what is the Britannia city-state reference on the smart note card? So, this is like me hyper-symbolizing to try to capture a big idea. I think that the most important human in the world right now is the Queen of England. I think she represents... symbolic history britannia which is very over Uh, but symbolically it's not i mean everyone kind of knows like britain and the queen specifically don't run anything and yet everything about being british and british influence and the the way the West hangs together politically through the elite's relationships with each other, no one is less important than the Queen of England. The Pope is number two. Uh, maybe he's more important. There's two beasts, if you remember. The, uh, <laughs> the, so, so, um the the shell of Britannia, which once had no sunset on its empire, has been collapsing for 100 years, right? It continues to collapse, and so the the hope of America is we will rise and take its place. I suggest we will have even smaller developments that happen as America cannot maintain its story. Britain can't maintain its story. Colonies cannot maintain their story. In fact, the colonies are now being recolonized by aggressive powers who don't mind lying to get the power, Um, which is very fascinating. So you have like majorities of people voting themselves into slavery basically right now, which which is just a whole different thing. But I think regardless of that, I don't think that the big hegemony of America can work because what matters most In real space, forget the myth, in real space is your city state. You need actual governmental organizations that can uh, mobilize and do things together. Uh, and so if you really want to see the, the the layout of the American future, stop worrying about who's president and start thinking about who are the mayors in the seven or 15 biggest cities in the country and then see all the other cities that are within like two or three hours of them as being tributary city-states to these greater cities. They may not pay taxes directly, although since these greater cities take over the state eventually, they sure do. <laughs> so it's it's just an extended Greek city-state area that we have believed has been united behind an emperor who's far away, but he can no longer maintain his conviction in our hearts that we're really under him. And again, the fragmenting continues, but that's not only America, right? That's all Britannia. This is the entire West that sort of in a World War I, World War II, UN way, it was like, okay, we're together. We have something we're fighting for and against. No matter what they say now, they can't convince a lot of people. I think that that's true anymore. And so you can, you can have the whitewash emperor's new clothes going on and everything's gonna be fine and just take your vaccine. It's all going to be great. And then you have the fact that these city States have roads that aren't getting fixed, bridges that are falling down, uh, bloated, bloated infrastructures, massive homeless homeless issues. Uh, people can't afford to live there. The people who can't afford to live there are not from America. They're often bringing whole new cultures. It's, it's going to be a Babylonian, I don't know, I don't say it's, I'm not morally opposed to this. I think you just have to recognize that's what's happening. And so the Britannica city-state devolution, that all these cities that grew on the back of being the image of Charlemagne's England, which really comes to play in in, you know, 17, 18, 1900s rise to power it really comes to play. It, it sees what it should have been for the world's a myth. When, when I ask the question, you know, what's the difference between Tolkien's Gondor and, and England to you? And my guess is that England carries Gondor in terms of its, if you, if you had to pin, you know, the, the spirit of an age of people um, in our history. Uh, with Gondor. Britannia is Gondor. You know, the, uh, the, the British Empire is Gondor. But now that the sun has collapsed and Gandalf was at the gate, but the Nephilim, not the Nephilim, the, the Nazgul keep coming, right? Uh, where are we now? Uh, Gondor's going to fall and, and because it never was a thing. Gondor's, Gondor's just a city-state. Um, so Chicago, New York, L.A., uh, the three cities in Texas have an interesting, or four cities in Texas have an interesting dynamic that they'll have to play with. Places like Oklahoma City that are new uh, Silicon Valley wannabes. Um, you also have places that are going to be increasingly disparate. That is, uh, there will be uh, pockets of wealth with pockets of extreme poverty. Think Portland, think Baltimore. Baltimore's way ahead of Portland, but Portland's ahead of there. Uh, Seattle's uh, probably farther ahead too right so so if you want to know your world you can't look at a at a global narrative you have to look at the city state that you're closest to and then understand how that's impacting um collapse rather than growth don't expect those city states generally to um to have a better future for you in 20 years or in 30 years expect them to be able to do less and require more of you um does that mean move to wyoming i don't i'm not saying that i'm just i'm just saying that the um in that structure that we find ourselves, we're not building toward a unity, although they're going to shout about it for a while, but the more they shout about a unity, the more it's going to divide us right now. Um, Because we don't want to be forced into unity that makes us like give up our our beliefs, right? So uh, the more that they push on that, the more fractured we'll get. And this is my, this is purely my opinion, purely my opinion. Do not take this to the bank. Um, But it is my opinion that this is, this is probably a thousand year shift um, that we were moving toward unity for a good long time. And unless the Lord tarries, we're going to move away from unity for a very long time. There will be ups and downs. So it's not to say that there can't be growths where there are institutions develop. But right now, to develop an institution is hard, way harder than it was 100 years ago. And so what I'm thinking, because the wind's blowing that way, is we're going to see less institutions and more local just existence until there's so little up above and you can actually scavenge the leftovers that you can start building again. But right now, it's just too expensive to build. People try to start a business in Illinois. Golly, I don't know how people do it. Um, And what's happening is people do it with cash. That's how they're doing it. (laughs) So that's where you can't impose a law that uh, isn't really a law. And the Britannia city-state mythology of a united earth, it's going the other way. And I don't think it's going to slow down. Thanks for the question, Brian. Yeah, yeah, definitely my opinion. Definitely my opinion. Oh, my, my, my. Revelation 6, how long, O Lord? That's right that's the prayer that's the prayer Does someone say caffeine i did one of those things i do about every three or four months where i'm like i'm gonna drink less coffee and so i seriously i drink i drink three or four of these a day okay three or four of these a day. i think i'm down from where i used to be and usually the last one will be a decaf uh but and i i brew it in the morning generally uh I had one of those moments where I'm like, ah, I'm going to cut back I'm on my caffeine. I'm, I can do it. I can do it. I'm, I'm a tough guy. I could do it. And so like, like I don't remember if it was yesterday or the day before. I think it was yesterday. No, no, it was the day before. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just have one cup today. Right about 6 o'clock p.m. Oh, that head was hurting. <laughs> and I'm like, it's 6 p.m. I can't have caffeine now to fix this. So I let's just say I've had I had all my three cups yesterday because <laughs> it's a drug. It's a mind altering substance. It is a self-medicating reality. It is not necessarily a sin. It's not necessarily a sin. It may be increasing your anxiety. Uh, it may also just be what you need to sit and think in the morning. And, you know, you got it. Sometimes you got to do something that isn't good for you because it really doesn't matter because it's not a sin. Huh? When Luther said sin boldly, that's really what he was getting at. Like, so you're like, oh, Jonathan. You drink coffee, it elevates your blood pressure. You might have a heart attack. You could, in fact, also have hypertension and be more nervous. And so, therefore, you should stop that and you will be a happier, better person. Notice the therapy as the salvation story. And so, like, you go and you try and you, maybe it works and there's a lot of suffering involved, but there's also this point where you're like, yeah, this has nothing to do with my spirituality. Nothing. It's just coffee. Well, I do have a... I'm a man of appetite. You know the proverb that says that? Um, I, why did I say that? Because it's sweet tooth uh the proverb says a man of appetite do not desire the delicacies of the miser oh good stuff good stuff keep reading your proverbs people we are running down to out of time there is i'm looking for more questions toward the top you guys really did chat it up today this is fantastic thank you for that if you want to keep chatting up the us the chill on the mad christian discord google Google search for us, the chill in discord. If you would like to get into the the conversation there, Um, the Saturday morning chill after our party generally has a good conversation there. There's lots of stuff going on. If you've been, been over there and uh, it's been a little quiet last couple of days. It's post Easter. That's okay. I haven't been there much. So I'm, I'm increasingly on this track of, of less far away, more near. Um, But at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to find that, that principle really for being able to be online, spend time in the internet if I need to for, for you, for others, for myself, I guess Amazon's okay. Um, but you know, to be present while also detaching the spirit from the depression machine that, that entertainment is, uh, it is, it's a depression machine. Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, thanks for being on that journey with me. Right. Uh, I plan to stay with you on it as long as I may. Uh, and, uh, you know, this last week I say, I, I learned something about myself. I think it will, uh, over time enable me to be even, uh, to do more with this of what actually is needed rather than just trying to slay my demons with it. And, uh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So please, if you don't pray for me already this week, would you? Um, it's, it's a pretty tough diagnosis. It's a pretty tough diagnosis. Uh, go read on it. Yeah, you know, the 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 book uh CPTSD from Surviving to Thriving Pastors, you should get it. Get it. You got people. You got people with this. I guarantee you. Um pray for me. Uh the good news is Jesus, not me. All right. And and the good news is that uh well, for my diagnosis, high functioning is already a present reality. And then uh it's beautiful. You uh with CPTSD you can almost make a full recovery. Almost. Uh you will never ever ever Be able to feel love from other people, but it's one more reason to look for the resurrection, and it's a way to learn how to feel love by seeing what they do, rather than, well, everyone else sort of picks up on it. I have to think about it more now, but as a as a, I'll be way more aware of the love in my life um, than the average person as a result. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. So thanks for letting me say that (laughs) out here on the internet where everyone's forgiving. (laughs) But no, I I really, um, without the ability to talk, I don't grow. And so you all, by caring about what I talk about, um, listening to me hash out my Christianity in real time, you help me a lot. You help me a lot. And your comments, uh, even the vitriolic ones have helped me because I've learned, you know, long before I had to silence the critic in my head, I learned how to silence the critic on the YouTube comment. Just, Just ignore it, right? It's not that easy, but you have to work on it. But your comments when you, um, really what means the most to me, I love it when you say thank you. That's nice. But what means the most to me is when you when you ask something else. Yeah. When you say, like when Brian say, you know, what's that one thing you said that was really weird? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, it's like, that's like way too much in one sentence. Um, but that, I don't know. That helps. That helps. So keep asking. Redfist.com, contact Send your questions there. We only had four this week. Yeah? So send, the, send your questions there. I'm happy to take them. Um, y'all enjoy your uh, Easter too. Hopefully you get to hear about the dry bones tomorrow. Maybe it's the first John chapter four. That's good stuff. Excuse me, five. Five. Water, blood, and spirit crying. Uh, he is risen. You are paid for. He won't be long now. Thank you. Don't wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. I'll see you next week. Rock on. was that worth a dollar click the patreon link in the show notes to sign up pretty please